Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor John Henry, and this is the podcast of Zion and St. James Lutheran Parish in Martin County, Minnesota. What you're about to hear comes from our Friday morning Bible class. Currently, we're working our way through some of the core topics of the Bible, like, for example, the Trinity, the sacraments, justification, heaven and hell, the end of time, those kinds of topics. Episodes will be recorded every Friday in Bible class, and they'll be posted as soon as humanly possible with God's help and with minimal editing. Enjoy. Okay. So, just to just to review before we begin anything new. We are talking about we're talking about the Trinity and the incarnation. Said a couple things last week about how these things are mysteries, but that doesn't mean that they're things that we it, it just means that, that you can accurately speak about them, but you can't completely uh, understand them. Okay? You can say God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you say that, you know you're telling the biblical truth. But that is not something that is, just because you can say that doesn't mean that you actually like get it, so to speak. Okay? Also, you can say that uh, Jesus is God and man, uh, fully God, fully man. You can say that, and we teach the kids that all the time. The kids can understand that, but then we can't actually understand it, okay? We can't comprehend how one person can have a fully divine nature and a fully human nature united into one person. And just once again to review the terms, um, Trinity. Trinity is what we use. The you know one God, three persons. The tri in Trinity is the three persons. Okay, incarnation. Um, just to you know, it's got the word in and it's got the word carne or carna in there, like a carnivore. Okay, because a carnivore eats carne, that is flesh. So when we say incarnation, we're actually just saying what the word became flesh. Okay? Right? The word became incarnated. Okay? And when we say the word, we mean the son of God. And then he has, in the incarnation, he has a human and a divine nature. We meet him and he, we interact with him through the New Testament as Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and we have started to we have started to get to know him and get to see him uh, under a couple of different names in the Old Testament. Um, we talked about we talked about how, right? So John calls him, the word of the Lord, right? In the beginning was the word, okay? We have seen, and we are going to see more, that the gospel of John is not the first place where he is called the word of the Lord. We saw when it says the word of the Lord came to Abraham, and it, this is not depicted as a message coming from heaven. This is depicted as a person, coming to Abraham, Abram at this time. Um, so the word of the Lord comes in a vision, and there's going to be, uh, as we go through, there's going to be one in particular that I'm thinking of, but a couple of visions where the word of the Lord comes, and it's pretty obvious that we're not talking about just a voice, okay, or just a message. Also, we have the angel of Yahweh, we talked about that. And we looked especially at, well, we looked at a couple passages, but the one that really kind of seals the deal, I want you to remember this, this is the one that seals the deal, that is Exodus 3, where the God appears in the burning bush. Okay? 
in God's appearance in the burning bush. It is called the angel of the Lord. It is called the Lord. It is called God. And he identifies himself as I am Yahweh. Okay. So we're, when we, when we think of the angel of the Lord, we are not thinking of like your guardian angel, or we're not thinking of something that is like Michael or Gabriel. We just had St. Michael and all angels last week. Actually, it's Thursday, yesterday. Um, we're not thinking of anything like that. We're thinking of God appearing in a form that's recognizable and giving a message. And um, so it is the angel who is Yahweh. There are angels who come from God, and then there is this one angel who turns out to be God. Okay? So, we're going to see... A, um, uh, uh, so now that we've kind of established that, that God... that and, and we've said that the angel of Yahweh and the word of the Lord, right? Lord meaning Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh and the word of Yahweh are, as far as we can tell in the Old Testament, the same person. They are the Son of God. That's why John Colt says, in the beginning was the Word, and then he says, the Word has been making him known. Genesis 18, beginning at verse 1. So it says, The Lord appeared to him, that is, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, which is where, uh, that's how the place where Abram was making his camp is identified as he sat in his tent in the heat of the day. So he's not out doing much work because it's the real hot time of the day, so he's just sitting in there. You can imagine maybe um, drinking a glass of lemonade, playing solitaire. <laughs> so Abram lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of them, of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abram, Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Okay, so I'm going to stop there because we've gotten some information here about this. About, so this is obviously a story about Abram, Abraham uh, meeting some visitors, some visitors that he is very anxious to um, show hospitality towards. And uh, so these visitors are described. How are they? They're just, how are they described at first when they show up? How are they described? Three men. They're described as three men. Abraham, when he runs out to them, he says, he says to them, my Lord, but you notice that it's Lord in lowercase. Okay, it's not all in caps. So he's, this is not necessarily, this is not identifying them yet or any one of them yet as Yahweh, the God of Israel. Okay, he's just sort of, it's kind of like, um, well, it's, it's respectful, it's reverential, but it's not yet saying divine yet maybe he he seems i mean if we look at verse 1 18 it says that it says 
So the, it says the Lord appears. Okay, so you gotta, in some of these stories, you really gotta keep track of how this is going. So the Lord appears to, okay, then that is in all caps in verse 1. The Lord, this is Yahweh appeared to Abraham. Three men is how that, that, is, how that is at first described. Okay, and then as you go down, uh, so Abra, Abraham gets all the food and sets it before them. And these three men are eating, okay? So they're not, they're not appearing as, Yahweh is not appearing as a disembodied spirit. He's not appearing as just like a shaft of light or some sparks that are flying around out and, or, you know, he's appearing as someone who can eat. He's appearing as someone that if you looked at him, you would assume, oh, that guy needs something to eat, okay? The Lord, okay, yes, the Lord doesn't need anything to eat, technically speaking. Yeah. yeah, but the three men, and then as it goes on, at least one of the three men, so we're in verse 9 now, they ask him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, she's in the tent. And then one of them, it would seem at this point that it is one of them says, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So now again, it, it is the Lord, okay? So we have the Lord and we have three men, okay? That's, and they, these are, now I know maybe what we're thinking. We're thinking, oh, three men, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's actually not what's going on. And this is, <clears throat> this is where we have to um, keep, keep reading here. And so we're going to, so let's see. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Okay. Again, verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. The men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Okay, so they're done eating. So they come, have a meal, make a big announcement. And then the meal is over, the, the message is given. So now they're going to be on their way. And Abraham is sort of seeing them off out to the edge of the camp or the settlement. Um, the Lord said, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Which is, that's a repeat of what God has been talking about throughout Genesis. This is the point of Abraham is so that he can become a nation, so that all nations can be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether what they have done altogether according to the outcry that came to me. And if not, I will know. Okay, so in this section here, kind of as, as the Lord and the men are walking along, God is talking to himself. Okay, similarly to the way God spoke to himself when he said, let us make man in our image. Or when he said at the Tower of Babel, he said, let us go down and confuse their languages. Okay? So now 
the Lord is talking to the Lord. And I mean, you get a little bit of a, through the scriptures and through the way this story is told, we are getting a little bit of a glimpse into the inner counsel of God, that this making Abraham into a great nation was not just something that God, you know, decided to do on a whim, kind of like, oh, I like that Abraham guy. I'm going to zap some blessings his way. This is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is the inner counsel of God that concerns us and our salvation. Okay, When God says there, in him all nations of the world shall be blessed, this, is, this gets huge in St. Paul. Paul talks about this a lot, that you know, we are the children of Abraham by faith. So we are those nations that are blessed in Abraham. Okay, Now, and then God is saying, I'm gonna, I've heard about, it's, st it's stated as though God is saying, well, I've heard about Sodom and I need to go down and check it out to make sure that what's happening is, what I've heard about is true. That's kind of the idea you might get from what it says, but what it's more like is God is saying, it's, um, Sure. Right. And when God comes to visit, you know, this is the idea of God coming to visit. But when God comes to visit, you know, when he comes to visit his people, it's not, you know, stopping by for a snack after a day in the field. When God comes to visit in the Bible, that means that God is coming to set things right. Okay. God came to visit them at the Tower of Babel, and what happened is what happened. It, when God comes to visit, it's more like, you know, I don't know, wait till your father gets home kind of visit, okay? Then some things are going to get set right kind of idea, okay? So God is not saying, he's not saying here, well, I heard some bad stories about Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to go check it out. He's saying, an outcry has come to me against Sodom and Gomorrah, and now I am coming to set things right here, and, and uh, my, my judgment will make things as they are, as they need to be. Yeah. So, okay, now we get to a little, something that's a little bit odd, okay? So verse 22. Verse 22 is where we really want to pick up this question of who, okay? So we have the Lord... Three men, the Lord, they're all kind of clustered together into this idea here. Okay? And we're not ever really sure if the three men are the Lord or if one of the men is the Lord. You can't really tell so far. Now we get into verse 22. The men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Okay? So, the, so apparently, and, and we can... Okay, so now, we, now, there's, now there is the Lord, and, the, and there's... I'm going to jump ahead just so you see what's going on here. Okay, so when Abraham is standing before the Lord, he does kind of the famous thing where he says... If there's this many righteous people, will you destroy the city? How about this many? How about this many? And God keeps, the Lord keeps, um, yeah, he keeps, he keeps reducing, he keeps, he keeps setting the bar lower and lower and lower and lower for destruction, for non-destruction, okay? So, we st um, okay, we're continuing the same story into chapter 19. Verse 1 of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Okay, so now we have a clearer picture, but you got to go through the whole chapter 18 and then get to 19, verse 1. And then, of course, verse, chapter 19 is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, and they get out, and the city is destroyed, and Lot's wife turns to a pillar of salt. Okay? But if you look at this, so now it says that there are, so it says, it said that the men went to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Okay? Those men are two angels. Okay? Are we sort of doing our math here and kind of seeing what... So we start out with three men. We start out with the Lord appearing to Abraham. There's three men. Then the men leave. Those men are two angels and the Lord stays. Okay, so now just put this all together. When you put all the pieces together that are there in the text, the three men are the Lord, the Lord, as in Yahweh, and two angels are with him. Okay? And by angels I mean created heavenly beings. Angels as you normally think about them. Okay? So that's your three men, the Lord and two angels. Okay? However, okay, so then the significant thing, though, about this passage for our discussion is that the Lord appears in this bodily form. He appears and looks like a human man. He appears and the angels also look like men. And he appears and looks like a man so much so that Abraham thinks he should feed him and apparently he does eat, as do the angels. Okay? So, what we're introducing, so the Lord, and we're going to, I'm just going to put it this way, a man, okay? This is a, another thing that is in Genesis, okay? So, this is, I'm going to make, I'm going to start a list here. This is the way that the Lord has appeared in Genesis. In the book of Genesis, he's appeared as as the word, he's been called the word of the Lord. He's been called the, and I'm going to, well, we'll do the angel of the Lord. He has been called, he's appeared as a man. Okay? All of these are ways that God appears here in the Old Testament. In Genesis, in this in the lifetime of the same person, in this interaction with Abraham. So, and I'm I mean, I, I think you will not be surprised if I say all of these, the word of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and this man are the same person. They are the Son of God. The next passage that I want to look at is Genesis 22, 11 through 15. Next passage, Genesis 22, 11 through 15. So these are, we're getting into, we have stories here that we're familiar with. And I don't, we don't even have to go back all the way till 11. This is, in Genesis 22, this is the story of, we're moving along in the story. God promised this, that they would have a son in Genesis 18. They have a son. Now we're in Genesis 22, and God tells Abraham, you know, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. God said to, where do you want this? Or Abraham said, where do you want this killing done? God said, out on Highway 61. Anyone? No? Never mind. <laughs> that's a, that's a, never mind. Bob Dylan song. It's acquired taste. Okay. So they have this, the so they go to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham does, and then in verse fifteen, that's where we're going to start. Genesis twenty-two fifteen, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. Okay, that means that when God spoke to him the first time, it was the angel of the Lord. Now it is the second time the angel of the Lord called to him a second time from heaven and said. Uh, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, so once again there, the angel of the Lord speaks and makes God's promises to Abraham. Next passage, Genesis 28. Um, the story I'm talking about begins at verse 10. Okay, so this is now Isaac's son, Jacob, um, who... Did anybody ever watch the original Shining Time Station? When I was a kid, I watched, we watched Shining Time Station, which was Thomas the Tank Engine. But it wasn't just, it wasn't just all Thomas the Tank Engine. It was like, there was like this real, there's this real train station called Shining Time Station. And there were these characters, sort of like a kind of Captain Kangaroo type thing. Okay. And there was this one character in Shining Time Station, a human character whose name was Schemer. That was his name. And um, he was kind of a bad guy. And he was always trying to like scheme people. <laughs> That's kind of what Jacob's name means is like schemer or scammer. He's always trying to he always ends up he always ends up getting the best of people through underhanded means. Okay. Um, and after he after he steals the blessing with the help of his mother, steals the blessing from his older brother Esau, you know, he dresses up as him, puts the hair on so he's a real hairy, hairy dude and smells like smells like a hunter, and gets the blessing from his father. Esau says, Well, well did you name him Jacob, because he is scammed me now twice okay and then esau says after dad dies i'm going to kill jacob okay so jacob now is on the run and as he is on the run he's out camping and he's putting his he's sleeping on a rock and he has this dream and it's important or it's it's important to know remember the tower of babel they were building a, they were trying to build a tower that could go to heaven, okay? And what they were most likely building, and you can look this up on Google, is a, because they kept building these afterwards for thousands of years, Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T. It's called a ziggurat. And it's kind of a pyramid kind of thing that is, has steps on it. And then there's usually a long stairway that takes you from the bottom to the top. And the understanding is, is then at the top, uh, it is a, there is like a house of the God that is at the top. This is a temple that they're building. And the house of the God is at the top. And if you can get the God to come into the house, then you can, then you and the God can interact and both get what you want that this is pagan worship, okay? And um, as a matter of fact, the name Babel means something like the house of a god. It also, depending on what language you're, you, it's in, the name Babel either means house of a god or confusion, okay? So there's a little trick that God plays in the Tower of Babel story. They're trying to build the house of a god. God turns it into confusion. Both the word Babel, or both the, the, the name house of God and Babel, or and confusion, can be from the word Babel. Okay? Okay. So that's important because what Jacob sees is Jacob sees what they were trying to build at Babel. He sees this stairway that goes up to heaven that unites heaven and earth. That's what they're building. They're building, they're trying to build a mountain that has a stairway that unites heaven and earth. And we won't get into it, but they're actually trying to build a recreation of the Garden of Eden. Okay? So, but what Jacob sees is this stairway that unites heaven and earth. 
and it says the Lord is standing on it. It says there's angels going up and down it, meaning there's spiritual interaction between heaven and earth, okay? And the angels are bringing, bringing, I don't know, bringing the needs of the, of earth before God, and then they're bringing the blessings of God down to earth is probably how they would have seen that, okay? And God is standing on there, and uh, he tells Jacob, he gives him the same promise that the angel of the Lord, that the word of the Lord, that the Lord, that the man have been giving to Abram, Abram, Abraham, and Isaac, and that is, uh, I will make a great nation of you. Okay? And then, let's look at um, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And I was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I made a mistake earlier when I said that Babel meant the house of a god. It means the gate. Babel means the gate of a god. Okay? So, what Jacob sees here is the real thing that they were trying to recreate with the Tower of Babel and says, This right here, God has appeared to me. This place is the gate of a god, or is the gate of God. The Lord is God. The Lord is in this place. And uh, just keep in mind, here it says that Jacob sees him. Yes, it's in a dream, but he sees him. And John said in his gospel, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten of God or the only God who is in the bosom of the Father has been making him known. Which means no, John says no one has ever seen the Father, but the Son has been making him known. So, in Jacob, the story of Jacob's ladder, which is actually a stairway, which is actually a ziggurat, which is actually the Tower of Babel, it's the Son of God that he sees. The next passage is Genesis 32:22, beginning at 22. I may have said 31. Genesis 32, beginning at verse 22, is the story of how Jacob when he is on his way back home, remember he ran away, and then he stayed with his relative whose name was Laban, and Jacob and Laban are the kind of people who sort of deserve each other, because they, they're kind of always scheming each other. And then Laban's daughters, whom Jacob marries, because he marries, ends up marrying both of them, because of Laban's scheming, okay? And so Jacob kind of has to get a taste of his own medicine with his relative Laban. But he ends up, he ends up getting the better of Laban, um, and he ends, up leaving a, he ends up leaving with both of Laban's daughters, a whole bunch of his flocks, a very rich man. And so off he goes. So now he's, I mean, this is... the. The Jacob story is kind of this, it's kind of a story about burning bridges, okay? Because he burned his bridges at home with his brother Esau by taking everything that was his, his blessing, his birthright and his blessing. Then he burns his bridges with his other relatives by taking both his daughters, all of his flocks, and, and you know, scamming him again and leaving. So he's really got no friends in his family. Okay, but he's on his way home and he is afraid that when he gets home, Esau is, I mean, Esau is a, always been a formidable dude and more so now. And he's afraid that Esau is going to just obliterate him and have vengeance on him. So he's struggling the night before he has to meet with his brother Esau. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That's a stream or a little a river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he, that is the man, said, Let me go, for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob said to him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Okay, so whole bunch of things happen in this story. Um, this is sort of, it's sort of Jacob's test of faith before he confronts his brother who is his enemy. So there's a test here as to whether or not Jacob is going to give in to his fear and turn to faithlessness or whether he is going to hang on. Because remember, God has made these promises to Jacob. He says, your offspring will be many. I will give you this land. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You're the one. You're the true heir of Abraham. But now Jacob is under a threat that all of it could be destroyed and taken away because of what he did, and uh, he is here being, his faith is being strengthened here. God is coming to him and fighting with him and wrestling with him and letting Jacob continue to cling toward to God, even though it seems that God is against him, God allows himself to be clung to. So what Jacob says is, I will not let you go unless you bless me, meaning I am going to cling to God through thick and thin no matter what, okay? And you're not getting away from me, God. You said that you were going to bless me. Now you will not get away from me until I, until that promise is fulfilled, okay? So that's the test. God comes and wrestles with him and sort of fights with him to kind of strengthen him in, not physically, but strengthen him in faith. Okay? Okay, so Jacob's name gets changed. His name gets changed from Jacob, which means like schemer or scammer. And the name Israel means... Uh, he fights with God. Isra is struggle or strive. El is God. So his name gets changed from scammer to he fights with God. And just keep that in mind. The nation of Israel is called the nation that fights with God. So, you know, um, there's an outside chance it could also mean God fights for you. But maybe not. Um, so that, that happens. So Jacob becomes Israel and then gives his name to the whole nation. They're from now on, they're the sons of Israel, okay? Because he has a lot of sons. Um, uh, and then you have this thing where, again, it says that a man is wrestling with Jacob. Jacob's alone. And then a man starts wrestling with him. And then Jacob says at the end, he gets, so the, and then this man gives him a blessing, like a divine blessing. Jacob realizes that this man is not just a man. That's why he's asking his name. Okay. 
and and he, that's why he wants a blessing from him and that's why he wants to know his name and then Jacob names the name of the place Peniel which means the face of God okay so that's and this is in the this is here in the story okay so in verse 30 Jacob named the called the name of the place Peniel saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So the name Peniel, it's down in the footnote, Peniel means the face of God. So he names the name of the place, the face of God, because here I saw the face of God and didn't die. Okay? So Jacob wrestles with a man who is God, who blesses him as the Lord. Genesis 49, this is the end of Jacob's life. So we're, I'm gonna, we're looking at Genesis 49, which is Jacob blesses his sons. This is the end of Jacob's life. This is after Joseph has gone down into Egypt or been sold into Egypt, rises to second, command, second in command in Egypt, brings his whole family into Egypt. This is getting to right to the end of the book of Genesis and setting us up for Exodus, okay? Um, and this is the end. So Jacob and his whole family, Jacob and all of his children and his livestock and his hired workers and his wives and concubines and everybody, they all go down to Egypt and live in the land of Goshen. And before Jacob dies, he gives the patriarchal, this is the patriarchy. I hope no one gets triggered by that the patriarchal blessings on his sons. Just like Jacob stole the patriarchal blessing from Esau and took what was supposed to be Esau's, now, he get, now Jacob is giving the blessings to his son. And some of them are not blessings. Some of them are like, geez, dad, come on. And these all become, they, the, all of these blessings become kind of prophetic they're, they they are often in some in some of them they are connected with the actions and the character of the particular son but they also are prophetic for that tribe that will come from that son so they they're looking at the son as a person but they're also prophetic looking at the future of the history of the whole nation okay so um so usually it's the firstborn son who gets the best blessing, or that would be expected. So we're going to go through the um, we're going to go through the sons, and we're going to. So the firstborn son is Reuben, and in verse three, in chapter forty-nine, verse three, um, he uh, chapter 40, forty-nine, verse two, Jacob says, "Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father." So then he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So there's a nasty little incident that happened where Reuben seduced one of his father's concubines. Okay. Um, or seduced or, yeah. Then the next two. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. So he's saying, you know, if I were your age, I wouldn't want to, ha I, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with you because you're violent. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Okay, there's, again, referencing things that, ha this violence, ha this stuff that happened before, and it's also prophetic of their, how they're going to be treated in the nation of Israel. So we get through the first three sons, and um, uh, uh, 
Jacob finds them to be not worthy to be to receive the preeminent blessing. Then we get down to Judah. And we remember in the story of Joseph that Judah has this kind of redemption cycle. He's one of the chief ones who say, who say we should get rid of Joseph. But then at the end of the story, he is the one who um, is willing to put himself forward and sacrifice himself for the good of his family. Okay, so... Now then it's, so in verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? So he's, so he's heaping praise on Judah. He's saying that uh, he shall be a victor. He, th- your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies is kind of this victory thing. You will be a victorious warrior. Uh, your father's son shall bow down before you. You will be preeminent among all of the tribes of, that come from Jacob. He compares him to a lion. And um, we remember when we studied in Revelation that there was this little bit where Christ is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So the lion, the fierceness of the lion is associated with Judah. And then it says in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Okay, so um, he will be the, this is what he's saying, he will be the king. From him will come the king of Israel, the ruler's staff. And, um, and, to, and so this promise then that, that uh, God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, this then passes on to Judah and says, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, okay? And um, the part, the next part, and we did, this is a very complicated passage, but the binding of his foal, because there's a lot of debates about how it should be translated, okay? There's some weird things in this passage that are, can be translated in a couple different ways. Binding his foal to the vine and his, don- and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So that's the end, there, that's the end of the blessing to uh, Jacob. But in the business about tying his colt and the donkey's colt to the vine, um, so you have the idea of Judah, from Judah comes the king, and then there's the king who rides the donkey. Okay? Which, I mean, and again, there's debate about how to translate some things in this passage, and there's some debate about what actually, what all this means about the grapes and stuff. But it seems pretty clear, at at the very least, that Jacob is promising the kingship of Israel to Judah, He's promising the blessings of all nations to this king who comes to this kingly line that comes from Judah. And he's prophesying something about a king and a donkey. And this seems to be, this seems to be pretty, um, prophetic of say, uh, Palm Sunday where the king rides into the city of David, David being the, the king who comes from Judah, and he is being greeted as the king who comes, you know, the savior king who comes in the name of the Lord. So it, it seems pretty clear that Jesus, as he is riding into Jerusalem, has these promises here that were given to Jacob, as well as other places in the Old Testament in mind as he is doing this. 
Jesus is, is not just randomly picking a donkey and saying, we're just going to go to Jerusalem. He's conscientiously in doing something that is prophetic, that is saying, this is who I am. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. So it's a, it's a long road to get from Genesis 49 to Palm Sunday, but in Palm Sunday, it seems very clear that Jesus is referencing these prophecies that were given all the way back to Judah, okay? And that he's saying that God has fulfilled what he told, what God has fulfilled what Jacob promised to Judah. He's been keeping his promise to him all through Israel's history. The king did come, the great king, the king David, came from Judah, and now all of that is being fulfilled in Jesus. Yep. And I mean, and just to review, I mean, this is all in Genesis, and these are all major turning points in Genesis where God comes and keeps things on the track they are supposed to go. And in, in, and now there are some that we didn't look at. There are some moments in the Genesis story that we didn't look at, but at some of these key moments, he is appears as the word of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and as a man. At least two stories in the in Genesis where he's described as a man. Okay. Um, that's when he comes to Abraham uh, and is fed by him. Yeah, the three, the, yeah, the three, the three men show up, and one of them turns out to be Yahweh. Yep, and two angels, and then. Um, Right. Yeah. Um, and then when Jacob wrestles with God, he's also called a man there. In Exodus, the angel of the Lord plays a huge role. We will get into Exodus and the book of Exodus and the events of the Exodus next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Join us live and in person Friday mornings at 8 a.m. at St. James Lutheran Church for Bible study. Join us for divine service on Sunday mornings, 8.30 a.m. at St. James Lutheran in Northrop or at Zion Lutheran at 10 a.m. in rural Fairmont. Check out our website at sjlnorthrop.com. Find us on Facebook at St. James Lutheran Northrop. Thanks again. God's peace.